0: Hi, YouTube. It's Joshimals, and welcome back to my channel. Today's video is going to be another solved A true crime case for my Curious Case series. I just like to point out this video is not being made to cause disrespect or anything like that. It's just being made to spread awareness about this case by compiling information from various different public sources on the internet. While wow, I said that one really quick. There's And with all that being said, let's delve right into this video. 19 year old Marsha Louise McDonnell had a passion for music and the art. She was a successful student that managed to get all the A-level grades required for her to go to university. Marsha had the promise of an amazing life ahead of her. However, that promise was quickly taken away from her. This is the solved curious case of Levi Belfield. Monday, the 3rd of February 2003 started out just as normally as every other day for Marsha. Marsha and her two friends had actually gone to the cinema to watch the movie Catch Me If You Can. Then after the movie had ended, they all walked together to the bus stop where they all got on different buses heading home. Marsha waved off for her friends as they boarded and departed on their buses before she got on the 111 bus to take her home. Marsha stayed on the 10 mile route towards Hampton that the 111 bus took up until just before midnight. The bus pulled up to a bus stop at the top of Percy Road, which is where Marsha, thanks the bus driver, got off the bus before disappearing into the night. Marsha's house was on Priory Road, which was actually just a few streets over from Percy Road. However, just 20 or so meters from Marsha's doorstep, Marsha was brutally attacked. Just after midnight, one of Marsha's neighbors woke up to the sound of loud noises coming from the street. Worried, the neighbor crept out of her house to see Marsha lying slump on the pavement in a puddle of her own blood. The neighbor ran over to Marsha to see what had happened, uh, but Marsha was not responsive. She was actually slipping in and out of consciousness due to the head injuries that she had sustained. The neighbor phoned for an ambulance and Marsha was rushed to the nearest hospital. Marsha, lying in her hospital bed, fought for her life. But unfortunately, her injuries were far too severe. There would be next to no chance of Marsha ever recovering. Marsha's family and friends made the heartbreaking and extremely difficult decision of switching off Marsha's life support machine. On Wednesday, the 5th of February, 2003, Marsha Louise McDonald passed away, surrounded by her family and friends. Medical examiners later determines that Marsha had died as a result of severe head injuries. And these head wounds were determined to have been possibly inflicted by a hammer or a similar shaped instrument. The medical examiners also determines that there was no evidence that Marsha had been victim to sexual assault or sexual abuse. A week after Marsha's death, Marsha's sister made a public appeal on television. And this appeal was for anyone with any kind of information to come forward to the police. And this public appeal was very, very successful. On the 8th of January, 2003, just a month before Marsha had passed, a 17-year-old girl from the Strawberry Hill area in Southwest London was on her way home from the local shops. And she was walking home whilst wearing a Sony Walkman. Now, for those of you who are younger and may not know what a Sony Walkman is, it is essentially a portable CD player that you put your headphones in. And it was while this girl was on the way home from the shops that she actually, apparently, slipped and fell on the ice and knocked herself out. The girl's father was actually the person to find the girl before rushing her to hospital. The girl was barely conscious when her father found her. However, it turns out that this girl didn't fall at all. But she had actually been attacked a hammer-like blunt instrument, just like what happened to Marsha. The 17-year-old girl had been repeatedly bludgeoned on the head and the face, which caused deep cuts to her scalp. She had a fractured cheek a ruptured eye socket and a concussion. The head trauma was actually so severe that the girl was completely unable to remember the attack taking place. As you can imagine, the authorities quickly put two and two together and started to believe that the same person that had attacked Marsha and killed Marsha had also been the same person that had attacked this teenage girl. And it was only several weeks after Marsha had passed. That the attacker struck again. And this time less than a mile from where Marsh's body was found. However, this time the victim was an 18-year-old male. The man claims that an unidentified hooded man had tried to attack him. And this man had to tried to attack the 18-year-old with a heavy blunt object, kind of like a hammer or a wrench. The 18 year old managed to miraculously escape unharmed, but was unfortunately unable to give the police a detailed description of the attacker. The police detectives in this case were growing increasingly concerned about the number of attacks that were happening in South West London, especially due to the increased frequency of the attacks and the fact that they had next to no leads to go on. Now just one week after this most recent attack, a witness actually came forward with critical Information. The witness was able to help police construct an e-fit sketch of a man that the witness had seen leaning over the body of a girl. The young woman that the witness described actually turned out to be the 17 year old girl who had barely escaped with her life back in January. As you can imagine, this composite sketch was the first big lead in this investigation. The sketch showed a man in his mid to late 40s with short dark hair, a prominent nose and dark eyes that were framed with bushy eyes. Eyebrows. The suspect was further described as being about five foot nine with a heavy build And he was believed to have been wearing a thigh-length barber style jacket The composite sketch was released to the public by the police in the hopes that somebody may come forward with new information The sketch might just jog somebody's memory of someone that they know and as a result of this sketch being released The police actually received hundreds and hundreds of tips However, none of the tips led the investigators to the attacker. And it was during the release of this composite sketch that the investigation actually took a turn for the worse. The 18-year-old boy who had been allegedly victim to attack was actually arrested by the police for wasting police time. The investigating officers determined that the 18-year-old boy's story didn't quite add up. And they were very, very skeptical of it. This was likely due to inconsistencies during repeated questioning. Subsequently, the 18-year-old boy's story was disregarded as being linked to the other attacks. Especially as the other attacks had a lot of similarities. And the 18-year-old boy's story didn't quite line up with the patterns that the detectives had discovered in the other attacks. boy's story was an anomaly to their patterns. Along with the 18 year old boy, several other men and a 16 year old boy were also arrested, detained, and questioned in relation to this case. Every single one of the men arrested were released on bail, besides the 16-year-old boy. There was not enough concrete evidence to link any of the men arrested to the hammer attacks. The 16-year-old boy was never actually charged with anything in relation to the hammer attacks, but he was held and detained under the Mental Health Act. And that was for unrelated reasons. Despite a very exhaustive and intensive investigation, the police were unable to find any key leads in this case. And they were completely unable to identify a single suspect relating to this case. And it was not long until the attacker struck again. Wednesday the 5th of November 2003, a 36-year-old accounts clerk called Dawn Brunton left a bus station and was walking towards Hanson Cross tube station in Feltham, London. That was when an unknown man attacked her from behind with what medical examiners believed to have been a sledgehammer. As a result of this attack, and as you can imagine, Dawn suffered very very severe head injuries. She had a fractured skull, a fractured cheekbone, and a fractured eye eye socket. She also had several stab wounds to the back of her head and a lot of bruising on her lower abdomen and stomach area. Investigators believe that it is very very likely that the same person that had brutally murdered Marsha McDonnell was also the person responsible for this attack on Dawn. And then it happened again. On the 18th of April, 2004, a girl was brutally attacked from behind. And this happened in the exact same area while she was going for a walk. The young woman was walking along Trafalgar Road near Twickenham Green, which is in West London. And that was after she had had an evening out with her friends. And this young woman was 32-year-old Edale Harbison. The woman was bludgeoned and attacked from behind with a hammer-like blunt instrument. Edel suffered severe head injuries, but luckily managed to survive the attacks. She later made a full recovery in hospital. Interesting to note in all these attacks is that none of the victims had been sexually assaulted or robbed. All the victims had little to no memories of the attack or the attacker. Investigators believe that the attacker had a particular dislike towards young women with blonde or light-colored hair. This conclusion was drawn because all of the victims were either blonde or had light-colored hair. Unfortunately, the investigators were still unable to determine the identity of the person that had attacked these girls. And on the 20th of August 2004 the attacker struck again. And this time, the victim was 22 year old French national Amelia Delagrange. Amelia had been on a night out with a friend at the Crystals Wine Bar. And just before 10 pm on the 20th of August 2003, Amelia said goodbye to her friend before boarding a bus. She rode the bus alone towards Hampton, but unfortunately, she missed her stop accidentally. That would be a mistake that would seal her fate. Amelia stayed on the bus until it terminated which is where she suddenly realized that she had actually missed her stop. Amelia then asked the bus driver for directions before setting off on the long journey home. On her journey she passed through Twickenham Green which is where she was attacked and brutally killed by the Hammer murderer. Half an hour later, a member of the public was passing through the Twickenham green when they found Amelia's battered body lying on the cricket pitch. They immediately called the authorities. Amelia was taken to a nearby hospital, but unfortunately her injuries were too severe. The doctors and nurses tried their hardest, but shortly after midnight on the 21st of August 2003, Amelia la Grange passed away and succumbed to her wounds. Her head wounds were quickly determined to have been caused by a hammer-like blunt object. The investigators using this information and the fact that Amelia had been attacked in a similar location to the other girls and quickly linked it to the murder of Marcia and the other girls that were attacked in the hammer attacks. Amelia also fits the profile because she resembled the other victims, which further concreted the investigator's theory that the attacker had a particular dislike towards young women with lightly colored hair. The investigators also knew that all the attacks always happened at night and always within the same five mile radius of one another. They also knew that it was probable that the exact same weapon was being used in all of the attacks, a hammer-like blunt instrument. However, there was one difference in Amelia's murder that should be noted. This time, the attacker actually stole some of the victim's personal belongings. Missing from the crime scene were Amelia's mobile phone, her purse, her house keys and her Sony Walkman. As the investigators believe that the attacks were not carried out with the intention of robbery, they think that the attacker took these items as trophies for the attacks and a trophy for Amelia's murder. Fortunately the investigators are about to make a massive breakthrough in this case. Only a few days after Amelia's murder, her possessions were actually located. Her purse, Walkman and house keys were all found by police divers in the Thames River, about five miles away from where she was attacked. The police actually tracked Amelia's mobile phone signal to the location where the keys, purse and Walkman were found. However, despite the fact that they were able to pick up a mobile phone signal the police were unable to locate Amelia's phone. The police then decided that they were going to release CCTV images of Amelia on the night of her attack in the hopes that it may jog somebody's memory of the night. The images showed Amelia on the bus just 20 minutes before she would be murdered. Investigators came to the conclusion that the attacker probably saw Amelia get off the bus or shortly after she got off the bus and had waited for her at Twickenham Green. Two cricket sight screens at Twickenham Green were actually dismantled and removed by the police for forensic examination. and this is because they believe that the attacker had actually hidden between these two screens waiting for Amelia to come through Twickenham Green. Only a few days after the police released the CCTV images of Amelia, a report came to the police suggesting that only a few minutes before Amelia had been attacked. A young blonde schoolgirl had actually been stalked by a man whilst walking across Twickenham Green. The schoolgirl was 16 year old Emily Dillon, and she describes the stalker as being a short man with a side party. The man had stalked Emily as she had tried to catch up with her sister and her sister's friend, who were both walking just a little bit further ahead of her. It is thought that Emily is the attacker's intended victim, but due to the presence of Emily's sister and Emily's sister's friend, the attacker decided otherwise. And then the attacker struck again. Just days after Amelia was brutally murdered, a 28 year old woman was hit on the back of the head with a blunt instrument. And this happened on House Lyle Road in on the night of the 23rd of August 2004. The woman had no memory of the event and she actually woke up on the floor after regaining consciousness got up and decided to just go straight home, thinking that she must have slipped or she fainted. Then, two days after the attack, the woman decided that she would go to hospital to receive treatment for the head injuries that she had sustained, which were actually pretty severe. She was understandably shocked to learn from investigators what had actually happened to her. Only a few days after that attack, a suspicious hammer was actually found at a recreational ground close to where this attack took place. Forensic examiners analyzed the hammer for fingerprints or any evidence linking the hammer to any of the victims. Unfortunately, examiners were unable to link the hammer to any of the attacks with any solid evidence, meaning that the results of the forensics were likely inconclusive. All the investigators knew was that the weapon was a flat-edge hammer, which weighed about 1.8 kilograms. The weapon could also have been a crowbar, it could have been a pipe, or it could have been a metal bat, or some other blunt tool. Throughout the month of August in 2001, for the police chased up so many leads. They chased up every single lead in connection to Amelia's murder, which included searching a three-bedroom bungalow. And that bungalow was located in Walton-on-Thames, which was within about five miles of the attacks. This lead came after someone phoned up the police tip line with some new information. About 60 police officers spent three days thoroughly scouring through the entire bungalow looking for any evidence that might link a potential attacker to any of the murders or attacks. The investigators suspected that the attacker may have been using the bungalow to hide out in, and may have been squatting in the building. The bungalow itself was actually empty and unused, so it would have been prime real estate for the attacker to make a basin. The bungalow also had evidence of being broken into, which meant that someone had been in the bungalow and living in the bungalow during the time of the attacks. Forensic investigators scoured the property looking for any evidence for any fingerprints or DNA. They went through the drains looking for evidence, and they even brought in sniffer dogs to help find any evidence at all. However, nothing notable was ever discovered. The police had come to yet another dead end. But it wasn't long until there was another development. The police actually arrested a 22 year old man in connection to Amelia's murder. The man was detained and questioned before being released on bail pending further investigation and inquiries. And then the man was re-detained and held under the Mental Health Act. It is unknown to this day whether this 22 year old man is linked to Amelia's murder. In the months that followed, the police actually arrested four more men in connection to Amelia's murder. Three of the men were released on bail while the other was held under the mental health act. None of the men arrested or detained have ever been charged with anything relating to the hammer attacks. After the arrest of the fifth suspect, the police began asking the public for assistance. The police needed help identifying and locating a white Ford Courier van and this van had been seen circling the Twickening Green area the night of Amelia's murder. It is believed that this van is the vital link that could link police to the killer. In March of 2006, after very intensive and extensive investigation, the police finally arrested somebody in relation to Amelia's murder. And this man was actually charged with the murder of Amelia Delagrange. Police had identified 37-year-old Levi Belfield. Levi was a father of three and worked as a bouncer and wheel clamper in West London. Now, Levi was also facing other charges ranging from kidnap to attempted murder. On the 15th of October 2001, five years prior to Levi being arrested, 17 year old Anna Marie Rennie was standing by a bus stop waiting for the bus to come. And this bus stop was in Twickenham, and that was when a car with two men inside it pulled up alongside her. One of the men tried to grab Anna and drag her into the car, but fortunately Anna managed to escape and run away to safety. Levi Belfield is also implicated in this attempted abduction of Anna. Levi was also indicted for the attempted murder and grievous body harm of a 33 year old hairdresser. The 33 year old woman was actually struck on the back of the head with a hammer lights bulb object, similar to the ones used in the hammer attacks. In May of 2006, Levi was was also indicted for the murder of Marcia McDonald. Levi Belfield was found guilty of the murder of Marcia McDonald and the murder of Amelia Delagrange on the 25th of February 2008 which is more than three years after the last known attack. The very next day, he was sentenced to life in prison with the recommendation that he never be set free. Strangely, Levi actually refused to attend court to hear his sentencing. Then, on the 30th of March, 2010, Levi Belfield was further charged with the abduction and murder of 13-year-old Millie Dowler. If you'd like me to do a video on the Millie Dowler case, it is very heartbreaking. Please let me know in the comments down below. On the 6th of October, 2010, Levi was formally charged with one count of attempted abduction, one count of actual abduction, one count of disposal of evidence, and one count of murder. Levi's second trial started on the 10th of May 2011, and ended the next month on the 23rd of June 2011. He was found guilty of all charges and on all counts. Levi was sentenced to a further life in prison with the same recommendation as the first judge of Never Ever being let out and never being let free. And that is all we have in this case today. Thank you so much for watching this episode of my Curious Case True Crime series. If you're new here, I try to upload one video a week at the moment. It's a true crime video every Sunday, but sometimes it comes at other times in the week. So be sure to subscribe and hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time that I post. Also, a big announcement is that I actually, I got invited by in the City to be on the first ever true crime panel with Ellen and Neil and a few other true crime youtubers So if you're going to summer in the city this year or you're thinking about it Please come to summer in the city and we can meet up and chill out and it'll be a really fun time All you have to do is google summer in the city London and take a look at the dates I'm not sure which dates the true crime panel is on yet But I will let you know when I know I'll also be doing a summer in the city announcement video when the dates of the panel is announced and all the other members uh, As a separate video don't forget to like comment and subscribe and hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time that I post and with all that said I will see you in the next case. Joshua Miles, number one crime channel on YouTube. Oh, oh, oh. Subscribe to Joshua Miles, number one crime channel on YouTube. Oh, oh.